How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Corey Bosmer, host of Conversations with Corey and the person who runs the social media football page on Facebook and Twitter, known as Football Kentucky DBA. And today's guest is former NFL athlete and tight end for University of Louisville and current assistant coach at Christian Academy of Louisville, Keith Tobridge. How you doing today, Keith? I'm excellent, man. I'm I'm glad to be here. Thankful God woke me up today to see another day, yeah. man. I'm excellent. Yeah, I, I can't believe I muttered off every single thing I just said. That was a lot. I guess it's uh I guess it's like the old saying go. Keith, man, bro, uh, practice makes perfect. I don't know, but that was a lot of words. <laughs> well, listen, man, I, I I wish it was I wish it was a little bit more. It is what it is, though, so it, it's perfectly fine, man. I'm just. I, mean, I could have threw, threw in your college diplomas and the letters that stand behind it. <laughs> Absolutely, we only got one degree, so it ain't gonna be much. So you're good. Uh, some news just broke. Frank Wright is the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. I'm not trying to make this a white thing or a black thing, a racial thing, because to sure. me. It's not the issue that I have. Frank's proven as a coach to a degree. Wilkes is proven to a coach to a degree. They're both proven as quality players. How do you hire somebody that just got fired midway through a season? How, how do you do that? And Steve had, I know the Panthers overall, I don't think had a winning record, but I think the games that Steve coached during this year, they were close to right at around 500 and players respected him. And if you if you look back, bro, this is the second time, if I'm not mistaken, that he's got done raw like this. So, of course, I'm not going to make it water black. That's not what I'm here for. Wilkes, if you think about it, actually, when, uh, what's his name? The coach that went to Nebraska, he was the previous, uh, I forget his name, um, for the Panthers. The white dude that. I didn't last for three years. Yes, uh, rule, rule, Coach Rule. Oh, Matt rule, Matt rule Matt, yeah. yeah, Matt Rule. They had a losing record. Wilkes come in as an interim head coach. They're competing for the second spot in the uh, NFC behind the Saints and the Buccaneers. They also took the Buccaneers to the wire last game of the second to last game of the season. And they were honestly almost in the playoffs if two two teams would have would have lost their game. So they were in the mix of it. Of course, they turned it around midseason with the fire of coach and um and stuff like that. I'm not a fan of recycling old coaches. That's just me. I'm not a refan, I'm not a fan of recycling new head coaches to different spots or you just bouncing around, bouncing around. Now that also has some sort of uh how you want to call it some sort of deal to where we all as athletes we all talk about it's all about the perfect fit i may not be a fit for the buffalo bills but i may get released and be at the philadelphia eagles and i have a hell of a career all pro tight end because of the system now i can tell you that system that frank wright had in indianapolis worked he just dealt with the qb controversy if you think about it frank wright had he had andrew luck he also decided to dip mid <laughs> the fourth game of the season then he had to revert back to whoever was the backup quarter sam ellen you had Nick Foles, you had Carson Wentz, you had uh, Matt Matty Ice. So you had a total of five quarterbacks in almost two years from just competing for the AFC Championship in Kansas City a few years ago. My, my thing to that, Keith, it's been so bad in, the, in Indianapolis that I completely forgot about that. That's how bad it's been personally. One, and for two, like, at some point, I know coaches need to get the same regards and benefits of the doubt as players did, a la Derek Carr. Now, that's a different day different topic there he got done so bad at what point does because I know the coaches compared to the quarterback because they're the two main people that take blame when things go wrong in the organization other than the owners once that fall on the coach though you you mean to tell me okay so you didn't really have Andrew Luck per se you mean to tell me you couldn't make anything work with four other different quarterbacks and you're a former quarterback yourself 
who started for years, several years. And you're supposed to be an offensive guru. I'm not saying nothing bad about Frank, but how do you not make it work with four different quarterbacks? I think it's it's at the point where I think there's two things. Quarterback's the most criticized position to absolutely ever, ever. even in basketball. Tempo. It's it's more it's the most criticized position in, in football in any sport, regardless of because you win or lose games. That ball is consistent in your hands 99, 99% of the time. You understand what I'm yep. saying? When you don't have a rhythm of a quarterback, aka Jalen Hurts, he has a full, he had a full year finally with one head coach and one offensive coordinator, and you see how that works, correct? Yeah. Now you're trying to juggle Carson Wentz, Sam Elliger, Matt Ryan, and those four quarterbacks necessarily don't fit that system. Um, that's one deal. It's kind it's it's tough trying to trying to manage four quarterbacks in one entire system and try to force them to fit that system. Yeah. The second thing is how he probably necessarily didn't probably could have made it work, didn't make it work is if he would have lost the leadership from the team or he would have lost his team per se. As I say, that is you got guys fighting on the sideline. You got guys fighting in the locker room. They're going to the media and they're saying slick remarks about the head coach or offensive coordinator. You got guys not blocking and not doing their assignment correctly. You got guys getting traded left and right, etc. You haven't really heard anything about the Colts as far as that. Right was there. That's just the nature of the business. I'm pretty sure he did a great job and I'm pretty sure Frank Wright's a great dude. Um, but it's as a head coach, I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt, but it is extremely hard juggling four quarterbacks in one system and trying to fit all of those quarterbacks in one system that you have success with, with what Carson Wentz. I'm now guessing- that's the option where I say that that's, that's real unfortunate for not only Frank, but for Carson, how yes. do you not make it work when, what was it? Three, four years ago in Philly, you effing dominated. Look what you guys, yeah. if Carson, had, if Carson did not get hurt that year, he won MVP. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Now, I'm not for sure if they would have went to the Super Bowl or take the back. I'm not for sure if they would have won the Super Bowl if Carson Wentz was the quarterback. Then Nick Foles came in and you defenses don't know how to prepare for a second quarterback, a.k.a. Nick Foles. Don't know how to freaking prepare for that. You've been uh, you've been preparing for Carson Wentz for you had all this for 20 weeks and you know how to prepare for Carson at at the end of the day. I'm saying so it's 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 hard on a head coach to win or lose games with five different quarterbacks in three years. That shit's hard. It's I don't care what nobody says. That shit's hard. But at the same time, you got to know how to adjust. Right. You got to know how to adjust. Yep. Use, use the run game. Use use that offensive line. Because literally three years ago, we could be for the AFC championship in the AFC South with Tennessee, uh, Kansas City, Tennessee, Kansas City and the Texas that that year competing in the AFC South. And you go to the yep. AFC championship and all y'all talked about is run a damn ball. What happened to that? Why is the run? Why isn't it? Why isn't the run game working? Right. With Sam Allen Grant quarterback or why isn't, you know, Oh, the play action pass working when you don't have the correct quarterback to do the drop back pass and like you had with certain deals i know for me on my end matt ryan's a rhythm guy aka he needs a number one receiver that number one receiver needs to be at at the point at the spot as soon as his back foot hits the ground he takes that one hitch that ball needs to be out that's matt ryan's game frank wright's offense is not what it's not that for matt ryan he has to be rhythm it has to be a rhythm frank wright's offense is we're gonna run this football play action pass we're gonna make something happen aka this is why carson Wentz was so successful with the, the games that he did play under frank wright so it, it it's hard it's really hard no it, it definitely is so i want to i want to get into uh you being a high school coach what was your thoughts how hard was it for you guys to accomplish what you guys did at Cal this year because a lot of people man a lot of people really don't know how hard it truly is listen man like I've winning so I've won a state championship as a player in high school my senior year um and my senior year class so I'm from Toledo Ohio played at Central Catholic my head coach is Greg Gibbs he has like five six state championships in like 12 years so like it was a freaking powerhouse school he just won himself another state championship this past season as well um, my state championship team we had about 11 division one guys but it was about 22 division one 
one guys on that state championship field that night between the two teams. That's Trot, Troutwood Madison, the score was 13 to nine, right? It wasn't a high scoring game, defensive game, because it was literally guys out there went to the Big Ten, went to the ACC, went to the Big 12. You had a bunch of guys out there that was on, that, on one field at one time, but that was hard. But I can't say the hardest one is winning a championship as a coach, but it was definitely fulfilling. It took a lot of um, sacrifice from everyone, yeah. from the fans, from the parents, from the coaches, from the coaches' wives, from the athletic department, from everybody to be all bought in on this group of guys to be at that goal. We weren't successful last year. And I think that's kind of what drop what drove us last year was the fact that we lost to freaking Paducah Timmon. Um, and we had them literally like we had them by the hair of our chin outside of three turnovers in the last yep. nine minutes of the fourth quarter last year. Um, and I think that drove us to here because once we got to Paducah Timmon, we wanted them. We were going to see them in the third round again. I pray I, we pray to God that we seen them in the third round again. And I was going to be our state championship. As you see, we coasted through Ashland Blazer and E-Town and LaRue County and, you know, Barstown as well. But we were looking forward to that third round, that third round state championship game with Paducah Timmon, who we lost to. Right. That's who we had to get through. But man, it was, it was a, um, it was a, it was a tough one, but it was definitely fulfilling though, just to see like the guys that literally put in work practicing in the freaking cold, like guys out there with no shirts on, preparing themselves for Friday night. It was, it was definitely fun, especially with the coach staff that we have. And I want to put this out there too. Everybody that thinks that we freaking get paid differently being at a private school at Cal. We don't. We get the same amount that JCBS coaches get. We we spend the exact same amount of time that the coaches get. We just got heck of a dudes that are that want to do it for the kids and not for the money. Um, if, if it was for the money, we'll be all be going and coaching at U of L some damn worse. So I want to at least put that out there for people who think that they think that we get paid because we got Doug Bowman and Chris Redman and Hunter Kentwell and Jay Harriet and all those guys. It, it's it's nothing different. We just know how to win football. You know that coaches staff. You know all them guys have for quite some time personally outside of Cal to have you former tight end at U of L. That's one position, Doug. Former receiver, NFL player at U of L. That's a different position. Chris Radman, former NFL Louisville quarterback, and then you have Hunter Cantwell, former NFL and Louisville quarterback. How special to you having that many Cardinals on former Cardinals on staff? And you knowing those guys coming from where y'all came from collegiately, how special and important to you was it able to accomplish what you guys did collegiately and then to bring it into fruition and help the guys that y'all did to get the championship in high school? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, man, we took ourselves out of it, right? If we've done what we've done in our posts in our past careers, like, but we took ourselves out of it. Um, I think yeah. the biggest thing was paying it forward to the kids because I wish if I was a freaking high school kid and, and I knew that Chris Redmond was a Super Bowl winning quarterback back and Hunter Kentwell, you know, has records in UofL and Jason Hilliard was a all-star tackle for UofL and Doug Beaumont got records and he's a male player of the year. And I wish as a high school kid, I had these coaches. Absolutely. Right. Because that's, that is a sponge of information that a lot of kids won't get. Right. But the biggest thing for us as people first, we put our careers to the side because it's not about us anymore. It's never been about us when we, when you get into coaching. I think a lot of us just have the passion of just teaching the kids the game that we Wish right. we were like, we kids back in the day um, as well, but it's definitely an honor though to be to be on the same coaching staff with Cardinals, former Cardinals. Um, we also got guys on defensive side of the ball who played collegiate ball just at different venues. But you know, we all 
did our parts. Um, we got one guy that nobody really talks about is our freaking defense coordinator, Pat Riley. The dude has 10 state championships and nobody talks about it as a player and a coach. Hold, on, yeah. oh, so, hold on, hold on. So not he, only fill them in, but fill me in. I want to hear about this guy. because he has, Yeah, so Pat Riley, he's a he's a science teacher. Um, I can't remember the school that he's at, but he's been teaching for a while. But he was a Trinity alum. So just imagine him having state championships at Trinity. He was a player. He coached at Trinity, also has state championships at Trinity. Um, and then he has two at Cal. No, take the back. He has three at Cal in 2016, 2018, and then 2022. He has 10 state championships. Nobody talks about that. Like, that is a... They don't. That's the first I've heard of it. I'm not going to lie to you. That is a sponge yeah. of information. Nobody talks about that. And I think he deserves more credit than anybody in, in JCPS because he should be a head coach somewhere, but he's decided he just wants to freaking defense coordinator and shut defense shut offensive down on a on a day-to-day basis. But we also got guys like Mo Owens um on the defensive staff as well, who coached at Mayo and has multiple state championships. Um, our director of operations, Coach Stotts, his son plays left, plays right guard and right tackle for us. He came from Mayo, has state championship, you know, pedigree. Him. Um, Coach Jones, Earl Jones was a Super Bowl winning cornerback for the Falcons, like has Super Bowl ring, brings it all the time. Like we got guys and I wish as a high school athlete, when I was a kid, I wish I had these guys around me to teach right. me um, the way about life, the way about football, the way about anything sure. that goes on. So like it's, we got an awesome freaking staff and I can't, I don't think it gets any better than that. You know, which... <laughs> so speaking of, speaking of the Cardinals, before we get into Jeff Brom, what's your thoughts on just kind of the other dismay to a degree while um, Satterfield, a.k.a. Craig Thorpe 2.0 was there. Now, Scott, as a person, I never really spoke much to him my, with my doings at L. He's never done me wrong personally. I know a lot of people that he's done done treated well on a personable level overall in the grand scheme of things when you look at his collective as the head coach at the university of louisville it's more sour grapes than sweet apples you, you get what i'm saying <laughs> yeah. um i, I want i want to ask what your thoughts on him before we know jeff brown but one more point i want to make about satterfield like after his first year he blew away expectations his first season everybody knows football knows that nobody expected him i know i didn't for what he did for me the turning point as far as the fan base and loyalty to him as a coach in the city of Louisville was when he um, lied about the South Carolina job. You know, um, it wasn't that he, he took it. It's the fact that he lied about it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the fact that he didn't lie about it. Not once. He lied about doings with them interview-wise twice, two times. Now, you know, it came come it, it came out like I talked about with Hunter and Tyra. It came out that, you know, his father, God rest his soul, was sick at the time. So sure. as a person, at the end of the day, no matter the age, we're still children. For sure. You know, my mother turned 60 three uh what three weeks and i'm still gonna always be a mama's boy that's just Absolutely. what it is for that perspective as a child i understand satterfield mm-hmm. you got to you got to understand that but he went about it the wrong way from the yeah. fan perspective and i think the fans ultimately could just never truly really forgive him and then another thing i think he did wrong was lack of pass alone involvement mm-hmm. it was up until your last year that you decided to bring along somebody with the caliber of Dion branch mm-hmm. you got so many guys out there like everybody on your all's coaching staff ronnie gent who we can talk about that another day ronnie's one of my best buddies i'll talk to him once a week how do you not have past alumni involvement 
So I want to get your thoughts on uh, Satterfield's overall tenure and the lack of past alumni involvement. For me, I would never, ever, ever, ever talk down on anybody. It's not what I want because you never know when you may need No, that. yeah, I'm not talking down. No, 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 no. no, no. I, I, I know that. I know that. I would never do that. So because you never know when you may need that person. Absolutely. Never know. But what I can say is he did go about it the wrong way with the South Carolina deal. Correct. Yeah. Everybody knows that you shouldn't have lied. You lied twice. God rest his soul. His dad, his dad and mother, whoever it was. We know that we understand that some way, somehow, somebody was going to figure that out, right? Somebody you can't, especially in this day and age where social media is literally the best thing to ever, ever, ever happen to everybody. You knew for sure you should have just said something about it and then kind of just went on about his day and say, Yeah, I went on an interview, but I'm not going to entertain it. I want to be here. I want to be a cardinal. We all would have been fine with that, right? Um, but that's kind of how I would have handled it. He may be built a little bit differently. Um, but about his tenure, though, um, I think that a downward slope on some players. Um, it was pretty obvious. Yeah, and I talked about this on the pink uh the the, the pink seat podcast with my guys Vincent and Jacob as well, Matt. It was to the point where if you think about it, his first year, those guys weren't his guys. Those guys were Bobby Petrino's guys, the guys that went two and ten. They just needed some love. Satterfield came in, great dude, great human being, great staff, came in with some love. And you see what they did the following that following year with the I think they ended up winning eight to nine games that season, right? And doing very, very well. Did he win some like coaching awards? Too, if I'm not I think mistaken. He won, I think he won ACC Coach of the Year that year. You know, this is how bad his tenure, unfortunately, overall was. Nobody even talks about him winning that. Yes. When's the last time you heard of a, specifically a Louisville fan or any sports person talk about that? You don't hear it. Yeah. It's, uh, he won, I think, I think it was his first year. I think that was what, 20, 2018? No, no 2019. I think 19 because his second year was COVID and we all know how that yeah. went. Yep. So I, I'm going to excuse the COVID deal. We all going to excuse that. It is what it is COVID messed up everybody across the United States, even the NFL football. Everybody had to think on their feet on a day-to-day basis. Guys were in and out because of COVID. I'm going to excuse that year, but that year you should have took the opportunity to build up what you've missed from 2018 because you also had Des Fitzpatrick, Tutu Atwell, Makai Becton. You had, you had some dudes. You got uh, Doran Etheridge. You had dudes on that team that you could have took that following year, COVID, to go out and figure some things out and what we need to do because we're going to miss some key pieces. Now, yeah. you also read up with the offensive line. The offensive line did great. I think they did the best. They were the best position for the past two years, right? Outside of that, I sure. feel like it was gradually, it was improvement within that um, with the offensive line. I think they're probably the only skill group that would not skill. Well, I, they're the only group that was really had some sort of upward trajectory. Now, lack of passing game, if you go back to his film at Appalachian State, he wasn't a big passer. Never was. The exact same offense he ran in Louisville, he ran at Appalachian State. But that's how you lose games in the ACC. You cannot run the football. And in the ACC, you got guys who are bigger, faster, stronger. We, yeah. also, did, we also didn't recruit those guys who are bigger, faster, stronger. Clemson. I've lost to Clemson every, every year since we started in the ACC in 2014. I lost to Clemson every single year. We just couldn't beat them for some reason. We had the guys to do it, just couldn't freaking finish it. Satterfield had an opportunity to beat Clemson twice in the red zone, and you couldn't figure it out, right? So I, I think it's, it's a lack of not using your quarterback skill set. Um, and then also just losing, man, the camaraderie of the other room, dog. You lost your, and it, I'm just speaking of last year, you lost Tyler Harrell, right? Who was the biggest, the fastest, strongest dude, I mean, the fastest dude at, at the receiver core, who was your deep threat. Well, you can- Funny about him, and it's not funny, is he left to go to Alabama, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. He's he leaving did. Alabama. Is he coming? So is- Don't know. Knock um, on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. He made he made them coming, but we got, a, we got we, we Jeff Brown did, did what he needed to do in that transfer portal. 
Porter. He got, he got some guys in that net receiver room. But I think the, la- the the missing piece was the tight end room because the running backs were great. Running backs did what they had to do. Of course, they took majority of the carries. And Malik it was them. so sad to see the misusage of Marshawn Ford. I love that kid. Because if you think about it, Satterfield's first year, Marshawn was a part of the John Mackey Award finalist. And he did a, yeah. he, he, he had an excellent career. He had a better career than me and Cole Hickettini and the rest of the guys who were playing tight end at UofL. He had a heck of a career. So he was used his first year because nobody knew how to game plan for him. But the following year, when you have the same tendencies, it's going to be hard to 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 give uh, someone the ball who's a lot shorter playing tight end or playing full. It, you got to find, you got to be more creative to get someone that skilled the ball and they didn't have the creativity. Sure. So I think it was the lack of the tight end room. And then also, man, the lack of freaking recruiting tall freaking receivers, bro. Like you got all these small guys and you want to continue to keep running crosses and flats, but that's not going to get you any big plays. Yeah. I want to get you anything because if and I take things back to when I played at uh, UofL, we had freaking Jamar Staples who was freaking 6'5", who could jump over anybody in the country. James Quick, who was the fastest guy in the room. You had Jalen Smith. We had a whole bunch of guys, Cole Hickettini, right? We had we had some dudes who can actually. So it just it was just one of those deals where I think the lack of just creativity and using his his skill guys to the best of their ability. I think it was just a lack. So before I get back into one more thing, Satterfield, you, you mentioned James Quick not once but twice in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Do you think James Quick has ever forgiven himself for that mistake he made that he knows he shouldn't have? Let me ask your opinion on that because I um, have an ass that was in in it yeah. in the thick of it. What's your thoughts on that? Do you feel he has forgiven himself? Part one and part two. Do you feel like people are too critical of that? So just and I love James is my brother. I talk to him all the time. I truly don't think he's forgiven himself for that. That's just me being me. Hell, I probably wouldn't forgive myself for it either. I right? wouldn't either. That's that's, that's a that's a crucial play that may have could have gotten us to where we wanted to go. But also, if we would have got the first down, we had four more downs to go. We probably could have lost the game anyway. Um, That's one part people don't talk about. It was fourth and seven. Of course, he stepped out of bounds as well. But if we would have got the first down, we were only at the 10-yard line. We had four more downs if we can go get in the end zone. Maybe 20, we had maybe 20-some, 17 seconds left on the clock. So, like, we probably would have lost the game anyway if guys didn't. The details you're given are the details nobody discusses. Right. Nobody discussed, but I also think that people are overly critical of that because a lot of people who are making slick remarks about that, if you were in that situation, you probably wouldn't even did anything with that football. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I, that's, that's just reality. Like you probably wouldn't even know the route concept. Yeah. You wouldn't even know the correct depth to even catch the football in that, in that instance for James, for James to run that five right out and catch that football and know the exact play and know where he probably would have, should have gotten. A lot of people probably wouldn't have been in that situation. They would have dropped the ball with a fumble. You feel what I'm saying? They or they probably would have did something else with the ball, right? But instead, people are criticized dude, because ever since they I, I hear all the time, ever since that play, Louisville football hasn't been the same. And this, this, this. I heard I you hear everything. If you were in James Quick's shoes, you can do all this talking. But with 17 seconds left and four for seven, and you gotta grab, you gotta grab your nuts and you gotta legit go out and go freaking make a play. I bet you you probably didn't have the balls to do so. So that's that's kind of my my response to a lot of people who kind of overly criticize that position. But to be honest, I don't think he's forgiven himself for it i truly wish he would now he may have that's just my thought he may have forgiven himself and he may doesn't really give a shit about it but for me i just think that i don't think he has but i think it's just because everybody's freaking every time you see him or every time somebody sees him they talk about it like every single time like i gotta live with that for the rest of my life like come on man like let it go it is what it is <laughs> you know what i'm nah, saying exactly. so, i'm glad you, i'm glad you went into the details about it like that because a lot of times details like that often get overlooked and so it's so it's good for an individual such as myself other media personality 
families and fans that will hear that because people, if they if they don't know, they now know. And if they do know, they choose to overlook it. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know and, I mean? and sometimes people think that just that one play was the... the, the That's the what game. I was going to write. But, Thank you. Yeah. But let's let's not forget that our defense let up a touchdown before we even made that drive, and they shouldn't have even did that. You feel what I'm saying? Like, there were so many plays that could have been made by all of us, even myself, even a lot of guys that could have been made to even not even put ourselves in that predicament to even be in that fourth and seven situation, 17 seconds left. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But people don't think about the overall aspect. They don't watch the exactly. game. They think about the little things. They don't think about all of that. So it's, it's all people just need to just let it go because they're going to have to. I think another thing that hampers Satterfield's tenure at UofL, what, what we've already talked about, another part, and it's just from my perspective, because, you know, I've covered, uh, I've been on sidelines for seven games in three years. His lack of really, I didn't really get a vibe of community involvement with him. Man, it was. Am I wrong? Please let me know if I'm wrong when I say that. No, nah, you're correct, because when I came in with Charlie Strong, we always did volunteer aspect. We always did community deals. Like, we had to do a total of maybe five community activities every year or during the football season. Every last one of us, we all had to, no matter if it was just you and me and Kyle Bowling, me and few guys or the whole team we had to do i think it was maybe like total five to seven that we had to sign up for every single year that we had to do because that was kind of who look up to us or that's who the fans decide to spend their money on to come see us and have a good time maybe us going out to go see some kids maybe that may may have been the highlight of their year bobby petrino was the same freaking way like we did all of that community service we did everything everything of that because that was kind of what we part of our job duties and responsibility also being a student athlete was to serve as a community and service do community service but it was a lack of definitely a lack of community involvement for sure I think so with Satterfield. So since we're staying on this Louisville topic, how did you come about becoming a student athlete at UofL? And what was your time like at UofL as a player? I can go all day, but I probably won't go all day on this subject. I think more positive than negative. Me being me, kid from Toledo, Ohio, similar city as University of Louisville. You got one college team. You got some surrounding colleges who hate each other. One uh, AAA baseball team, the Toledo Mud Hands, like the Lower Bats. Violence every single where. You got a freaking the waterfront. We got we got a waterfront in Toledo, Ohio. Like it's very very similar. Um, I was going to commit to West Virginia and got off from West Virginia, and then I took my official visit with who is now my brother Kyle, who was in my wedding, Kyle Bowling, and also was my roommate for all four years, and we still talk every single day. He got me to come. We took freaking took an official visit to um to here in Louisville because he was going to commit to. UK was like, no, nah, screw that. We're going to commit to UofL. Took an official visit and I met um, one of my big brothers, Dominic Brown. He used to play running back for us. Also met Calvin Pryor and all those guys and Teddy and stuff like that. So I ended up freaking committed. Committing the day after my I got back home from my official visit. Um, and funny story is, it was a very, very true story. I got home pulling into the drive with my mom and there's a freaking red cardinal bird sitting on my porch. And I said, you know what? <laughs> That was God telling me I needed to go. It's it's nuts. And honestly, what's so funny is there is when I first just moved over in the house, a new house recently, I moved into the house and there was a freaking red cardinal bird sitting on my fence. So I'm like, this is definitely like where I should be. I'm listening to the signs. Um, but my plant career was, I would say, mediocre and up and down. 
situation to where I was just trying to figure and out. I like how I like I got to stop you just for five seconds. I like how honest you are because yeah. you got a lot of people out here and we know some of them. We ain't got to say any names. I like to over what's the word yes. I'm looking for? Embellish. Yes. My, my career was mediocre. I always had to work for everything I got. Literally, like my mom wouldn't give me no lunch money until I go out and go cut grass around the neighborhood or shovel snow or, you know, do certain things. Like I was my mom was really, really tight because she wanted me to get the hell about a Toledo, like wanted me to get out of there. My, both my parents, my mom and my dad, wanted me to get out of Toledo and kept me kind of like in my box square. Um, and then I got to college, and it was just one of those where I was on my own for the first time for four years. Um, so my freshman year was a little rough. I was red shirted the very first game against Ohio University, and Gerald Christian, Ryan Hubble, and Zeke Pike end up getting hurt that day. So they pulled my red shirt the following day because you got three weeks to pull the red shirt, and I ended up freaking playing as a freshman after after week one. So trying to just juggle that of being a first year guy, freshman coming in, it was only three freshmen who was to ever play in a varsity snap coming from our class, me, James Quick and Keith Kelsey from our class that were playing as freshmen. Um, so it was just kind of like a it was it was a, a learning curve for me my freshman year. Didn't have really the best of stats in the world, but I worked hard. My sophomore year came around, time for me to blossom. Charlie Strong ended up leaving. Here come by Petrino. So now I got to juggle a whole new coaching staff, a whole new offensive coordinator. So you automatically think about transferring. This is when the transfer it wasn't really around. This is when if you transfer, you got to sit out of here, right? So that was kind of that deal. But that was kind of mediocre year for me. But I ended up finding my footing and had an awesome year backing up Joe Christian and ended up playing uh, great later down later down the year that year. I had a couple catches in the Georgia Bowl game. So kind of like playing, playing within myself. Um, beat UK um, as well. Um, junior year was one of my best years of my life. It was tested me into breaking my foot twice, into breaking my foot my junior year in the summertime and ended up working my way back and rebroke my foot throughout the season. But I had a freaking amazing year playing extremely well. I probably, I, mean, I think I may have had maybe 20, 20 some catches for like 30 yards or like six touchdowns. Like I had an amazing year. I was honestly going to leave my junior year. I was probably either going to leave to go to NFL or I was going to transfer to Notre Dame with one of my high school quarterbacks, Deshaun Kaiser, uh, was a draft pick to the Cleveland Browns and stuff like that. So that was one of my best years. It kind of tested me up and down. Um, and then my senior year, man, it was probably one of my most challenging years. Playing behind Cole Hickettini, which is amazing dude, amazing tight end, like learn back and forth. Never really had a real tight end coach. So we had uh, Vince Lombardi, who was a, working as a quality control analyst for us, but he was coaching tight ends. And it was just it was just a matter of deal where it was kind of just too challenging. I couldn't find my footing in my senior year. I had two catches for 22 yards. I remember that shit to the to the back of my head. I, I sit on that, and that's what kind of drove me to going to the NFL. Like I said, I had I just had a mediocre up and down year, which I think, which why it drives me now to be a freaking coach, um, and, and soon to be a office coordinator or head coach someday or whatever that looks like. Because I had a fucking mediocre college career. Like I'm pissed off about that till to this day. I had a mediocre college career, and I'm like, I don't ever 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 want anybody go through what I went through or, you know, and if they are going through some call me because I've went through that exact same situation. This is how I would want for you to handle it since I handled it a little bit different. Um, so my, my playing career at UofL was up and down, but hell, I had a hell of a party scene here in Louisville. It was the good old time. So 2013 to 2017, we had the time of our freaking lives. This is when Louisville was freaking winning in all sports. Like that, the years that I played was, I'm extremely blessed to be even in those years and meeting great people and meeting connections and stuff like that too. So it was, it was time of my life. For real. Definitely up and down playing career, but a hell of a hell of a city to be in 
throughout those dot throughout those years and playing and stuff like that too. So two more things before we end this great discussion. How important to you as an alumnus is it to have a person like Jeff Brom come back and coach where he's from? Um, I think it's very important. But a lot of people so a lot of people don't know that of course Cal football team, but Hunter and Chris Redman are extremely close to Brian and Jeff and the entire Jeff Jeff family. Um the entire Brom family. Um we had an opportunity last summer to um actually last winter around this time to go visit Purdue at the entire coaching staff. Okay. So like we've we are all connected within the, the Brom family and the Brom offense and defense. Got to see a spring practice and stuff like that. Had an amazing time. It was always been a thought to Jeff when we first knew that he wanted to come back to UofL and finish what he started as well, um, especially playing, coaching for a little bit before he decided to leave as well. But I think it's very, very important. I think that this city needs that. The city needs somebody who's from here or, or, or who actually played here and understand what this city needs because there's too many nice guys that were in coaching positions yep. aka Chris Mack. Chris Mack was a nice freaking dude. This city doesn't need a nice guy. This city needs a blue collar, somebody with some grit, somebody's going to cut somebody out, somebody's going to do the things that they need to do in order to freaking win sure. a football. Understand what I'm saying? Uh, Bobby Petrino was that guy that was going to get into your shit, the referee shit, and he's going to do and say whatever he wants to say because he has some grit. He's from here. He understood, I mean, not from here, but he coached here, understood the assignment, right? He understood what Louisville was about as well, and that's basically what it is. Is. Um, and Jeff has that. Jeff is advocate for former athletes. I'm pretty sure he's probably going to have. Pretty sure he's probably going to have all former athletes attend all games. Like be around the building, be around the guys. Well, Dion's doing a great job of actually implementing that as well and bringing a lot of the former guys on um, into the building and being around more often and stuff like that. But it is very, very exciting and very, very intriguing that he's back in action and, I, and honestly bringing some guys back previously either used to coach here or played here. And in our own staff, Chris Barclay was a male running back. Freaking uh, was a stud. Yes. Garrett McGee used to be our wide receiver coach in Bobby Petrino's second era with the guys when I played 2014 to 2016. Pete Knox has stayed around. Dion is still around. Ron English is a, is a fan yep. of the DC or cornerback here at UofL. So you got a bunch of guys who all played with each other and all had and all know what Louisville was about. And I think you got all the guys as, as long as they continue to keep keep the main thing, the main thing, and understand this is why this city, the way it is that global football would definitely be back if i wouldn't say this year next year for sure we've always talked about it before but um stuff that often don't get talked about especially in this day and age is uh the mental health of uh, men whether they be white or whether they be african-american how important to you because you kind of we we kind of advocate about it between each other we talk about it um how important to you is the quality of mental health for men today i think it should be an 11 if it was on a scale of one to ten i'd put it 11 i think it's it's the mental aspect of just playing football period or you have a regular job or whatever that looks like i think mental everybody's mental health is should be the number one priority outside of god if you believe in god it should be the number yeah. one priority of mental health because without your mental you wouldn't be anything you wouldn't be able to drive yourself or you wouldn't be able to motivate yourself or have the determination have that grit or have that passion you wouldn't have any of that if you if you weren't in a good mental space of course me being an athlete we go through things on a day basis freaking we go through different situations like 
I freaking was a starter for four years and I decided to get cut. I mean, I, and I got benched because I didn't catch a football and I got to deal with that situation. And then my girlfriend just broke up with me here because she's doing this. And then my coach doesn't like me. So you're balancing all those different things, but all those different things are teaching you something. So it's like, how can I improve myself? How can I not be in that situation? How can I not do this, this, this? That's just me being an athlete. Of course, we could transfer that entire situation over to real life. People who work jobs, right? Outside of playing a sport. I'm a big advocate of mental health. I was one of those guys where I seeked help in the NFL. I was in Buffalo and I broke my foot. I broke my toe, my rookie year. And I was freaking about to start preseason one as a rookie tight end. Start preseason one. I freaking broke my foot three days before the first preseason game. Dealing with all that and breaking my toe and kind of, you know, figuring out like what I want to do. And you get coach staff who want to put more with it's mental, mentally as an athlete, we go through so much that teaches us things on a daily basis. We just got to figure out how to even get that out of ourselves. Um, and I think all athletes, and I think everybody needs to go see a therapist. I was just talking to my wife last night. I'm like, Hey, I think it's time for us to go see a therapist. There's nothing wrong. Not one bit. There's nothing wrong with me. I think it's just a matter of time. And we're, we're consistently in our thoughts, whether you're an athlete, whether you're not an athlete, consistently in our thoughts, we kind of just need to go let it out uh, to someone who's an expert in that field who understands hey if you're going through this maybe you, it's a solution um this is that looks like as well so i think i'm a big fan of mental health of taking care of um, your mental um first um as well so i'm, a, I'm definitely a big fan of that for sure personally man a reason why and i a lot of people don't know this mm-hmm. um when i was in seventh grade I try to commit suicide. Seventh grade, so that makes me, what, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in my room, staying on top of my bed. Right-handed guy, bro. I got a belt around my neck or in the process of putting around my neck and mm-hmm. put it up on the ceiling or whatever. I don't think it was going to do anything. But the fact that I had that in my mind and I was staying on bed, crying my eyes out, getting ready to go through it, if my mom hadn't walked in, I don't, I didn't even hear her coming. There's no telling. I'm not saying I would, you know, not be here type stuff, but like just, mental health is like, that's just what I'm saying. That's why I take it so serious because I, as a child, mm-hmm. like that crossed my mind. And of all people, children should never, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I think another issue, reason why mental health for people our age is because you're viewed upon as a man talking mm-hmm. about your feelings you're looked at negatively. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll suck it up. Be a man. Absolutely. Yep. Fuck that. <laughs> we got <laughs> feelings too. Right. You know, we process and harbor feelings more differently and frequently than women do, but we mm-hmm. still have feelings. We still are sensitive to human creatures. That's why I personally take it so serious. A lot of people was, know that. You know, I was going to get to that. I'm, I'm glad you are in a position that you are in right now to express that. It takes a freaking hell of a person to express that. Oh, yeah. I'm saying so you're a hell of a dude so I appreciate you for that I think the biggest thing too is it's just the stigma of being a man that's what I'm saying stigma of you are the king of the household you can't show no sort of weeping you can't you gotta be strong you can't show no sort of weakness none of that and it's that's just how for some reason how our parents taught us growing up as a kid especially me like how their parents taught them growing up because of their situation everyone in like that's why I'm honestly so glad that my parents are grew up in the Era that they grew up in. And I grew up in the era nowadays because now I get to compare the two. Because back then, when our parents were, you know, I'm not for sure what your child looked like, but my parents, they struggled. They had to go get it. My dad was a drug dealer. My mom was do- hooping and trying to make a sacrifice for herself and living in a single parent household and not eating. You feel what I'm saying? So, like, it's yeah. that situation is different, which is why my mom wanted me in a, in a different situation than what she was. And now I'm in a situation to where eventually when I have kids, I don't want to put my kids in that situation that I was in or that my parents, you, that know, that uh, uh, you feel what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. I'm so glad I got a chance to see and witness and be a part of 
both ends of the spectrum because now mental health is extremely talked about in it. But back then, it shit wasn't talked about. Suck that shit up. Go about your day. Have a nice day. That's what it was like back then growing up. But I think now it's more of a, it's more of, I need to, we need to start doing check-ins. We need to start doing, expressing our feelings and being more vulnerable about, you know, what's going on in our lives. And that's not saying like, be like telling everybody your business. I just want to tell you how I feel about this certain situation and but or what's on my mind. And if I tell you my business, what's on my mind, it comes out, it comes out. That means I was, I, it was on my mind. So I wanted to get it out. But I think we just need to be more vulnerable and just get the stigma out of it's okay to cry. It's okay to share your feelings. It's okay. Like it's perfectly fine as man. It is okay to do so. You're not seen as weak because guess what? If I cry, that means you still, you probably still can't whoop me or can't fight me in my head. Like even if I cry, I show some weakness, you can't, you still can't fight me. That's just me. Right, that's, how, that's, that's how I feel, Keith, about a lot of things, and especially people. One thing I've encountered in this business that I'm working towards getting in, and I know I will, it's just a matter of time. I, it's no longer if, it's just when. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate to be in that mental position to know unequivocally. It, money, talking about whooping me, like a lot of times people with money, like they just think they're better than you. It's cool. You might have more money than me, but can you whoop me? Absolutely. If you have to think about it, you've already lost. <laughs> Right. Legit. <laughs> that's how that's how I operate, man. Like if I show some sort of weakness, man, that don't, that don't mean anything, man. You still, if you want to fight me, feel free, but you probably won't be able to whoop me. So you can talk about me You can all- get Toledo. We can go to Toledo, buddy. <laughs> you can you can talk about me all day long or say what you want, but you can't whoop me. That's kind of what I've grown up in my head. But I, I of course, it takes me some time to actually realize that and understand that as you grow and as you yeah. uh, as you continue to keep learning more about yourself and about how on the day to day how you operate and finding that rhythm within yourself. Like it, it took some time for me to understand that. But it, at the end of the day, like I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna show my feelings. But at the end of the day, if you talk about me, you can't whoop me. So you ain't gotta worry about that. <laughs> That's, I, I laugh. I usually laugh the exact same ways that that you are because it's yeah. it's so true. You know, like another thing, um, we got just a few more minutes. You know, what a, a lot of people don't understand or realize too is like the stuff that people go through in life like mm-hmm. people have no idea like what's the the video that mike tyson that circulates all day long on tiktok it's with that white dude and tyson fury you don't know what i went through to, to get this calm or something like that mm-hmm. people have no clue what people went through in life like me like my parents divorced when i was three mm-hmm. i started doing things i shouldn't at 13 got kicked out of high school my freshman and sophomore year for doing things on school property and out of town that I shouldn't have been doing. Broke my left hand twice, had a head-on collision with a semi, got T-bone, broke my neck, had to wear a neck brace seven, eight months straight. Mm -hmm. Get what I'm saying? Like those things people wouldn't know about Mm -hmm. have made me into who I am today. Just like I know for a fact you went through things that people Mm -hmm. don't know about because of your upbringing and where you lived and the time of times of Toledo Lane. That all plays a factor in in mental health. Mm -hmm. It's sad that people are the way they are to get what i'm saying it's because people aren't curious either that or just they just don't care in my head that's what i think because if it was up to me like all you do is ask like no, I'll tell, my wife all the, I tell my wife all the time she's like well i don't know the answer to just ask like what is it going to hurt if they don't give you the answer for it okay cool at least you ask at least you know well i'm not going to go to this person to ask that question anymore absolutely i'm going to take this route when i'm going to go ask or like if you want to know freaking anything about me just ask like i'm an open book like feel free to do so we don't have those people in this, in this world people just don't care they don't care about your 
your feelings. They don't care about, they don't care about what you do. It's all about what you're doing for me at the end yep. of the day. It's basically all it is. And that's, and that's why mental health is where it's at. It's different factors, but that's another reason why mental health is where it's at because people just don't care. They don't care about one another. They think that me crying and me showing my feelings is a sign of weakness. Well, I don't care. Guess what? What, what is it? What's in it for me? That's basically how people operate. Like crazy how to even get to that point, but that's basically how it is, man. It's nuts. All right. Last thing before we end this, how do you want to be remembered as a person when your Ooh. time's gone? How do you want to be remembered? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think for me is, man, I've I've always been a genuine dude and you yeah. will never, ever, ever get that out. You will never, ever not see me being genuine. Be being genuine is also showing love and giving love and also putting people in the best best position possible. Because it may not happen now, later, whatever it looks like. But I think for me, man, no matter what, I was always a team player. I always did everything the right way. I worked extremely hard for what I got for what I've gotten, what I what I do have now. And that goes for me just being freaking genuine, bro. Like probably won't hear a bad thing about me. <laughs> That's just who who I am and how, how I've grown up um, as well. But I think the biggest thing, man, is when you hear Keetover's name, you'll hear a bunch of guys, oh man, I know him, man. He's a good dude, real good dude, real good, genuine dude, man. Go talk to him. He may have some insight. That's kind of how I would love to be remembered if, you know, so to say, if something was ever happened to me or pray to God it doesn't. But if anybody, you know, takes this podcast and like, oh yeah, Keith was a good genuine dude he was straightforward i need to go talk to him i want to talk to him about this that's kind of what i would like to 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 be remembered as for sure you know one last thing um i kind of operate the same way and another thing you might probably think think this is the exact same way yourself keith if you have a problem with me the problem is you if you have a problem with me the problem is you i don't bother nobody what you got a problem with me for <laughs> Right. Keith, I want to thank you for your time. You take care. Stay blessed, brother. Yes, sir. You as well. I appreciate you. No problem, man. Yep.